Welcome to Studio Berlin. I'm your host, Sylvia Cunningham. This is the final part of our combined Common Ground and Studio Berlin special before KCRW Berlin goes off the air on Sunday. During the first part of the special on Monday, we talked about the rich tradition of American radio in the German capital and about some of our favorite moments on air. So we'll continue that discussion today and focus on Studio Berlin, KCRW Berlin's first talk show. Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Soraya Serhadi-Nelson. So is it true that it's only football that brings Germans together these days? It's this paragraph that Germany's Green Party wants to change. Thanks for listening to Studio Berlin on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sumi Somaskanda. We'll see you next week. These are all the people who brought you Studio Berlin, and they join me now. In the studio with me is KCRW Berlin's program director, Soraya Sahardi-Nelson, one of the founding co-hosts of Studio Berlin. Also with us is Monica Müller-Kroll, the executive producer of the show. Welcome to you both. Hi, Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. And joining me via phone is Sumi Somaskanda, who hosted our very first episode of Studio Berlin and many, many more since, as well as Eric Kirschbaum, a former host and more recently regular guest on the show. Welcome. Hi, Sylvia. Hi there. Monica, you have produced over 60 episodes of Studio Berlin since the show's launch about 18 months ago. Can you give us a little background? How did Studio Berlin come to be? I think there was a real need for an English language talk show in Berlin uh, to talk about politics and society. And then we had this idea of rotating hosts because it's nice that everyone brings in, you know, a different personality and also different topics that are important to each host. Yeah, so that's how we got started in June 2019 and um, Sumi kicked off the series with her show on Sumi. Do you remember? (laughs) The very first Studio Berlin we did was on the Fridays for Future movement. And we had an activist and a journalist in the studio. And it was uh, very timely because it was at the time where the Fridays for Future movement was really at its height. And so we got to get some great insight into why a young activist herself was going out into the streets, missing school on Fridays to take part. Yeah, that was great. I remember that one. And Since then, the pandemic especially propelled us to adapt to a new format. So at the start, as Monica mentioned, it was more of a talk show format where we were all in the same studio, huddled together. But with social distancing and contact restrictions, we had to change our approach um, in the spring. And so throughout March, April, May, Sumi and I were hosting from our home studios, which involved a lot of blankets. And um, we would talk with our guests over Zoom. And I think the show in a way became more dynamic because we had these multiple segments, multiple different angles, and also because we had to coordinate a lot of different people's availability. So it was kind of out of need, but I think in the end it propelled us to a more uh, dynamic show. Let's talk about some of our favorite moments on the show. As we mentioned, Sumi, you hosted uh, Studio Berlin's first episode and many since. What's been one of your favorite moments this past year in, in 2020? That's a great question because we've had so many really interesting shows in 2020, also a broad variety in the terms of the topics we covered. So, you know, I got to talk about the new anti-discrimination law here in Berlin, the European Union's relationship with China, the decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Germany, all of these topics. But I think the show that really stuck with me the most was the one that we did recently on Germany celebrating 30 years since German reunification. And we've done a series of shows really drilling down on the differences between the former East and former West Germany, and especially a year ago, looking at 
30 years of the fall of the Berlin Wall. And I think what it has done is, as we look at you know various aspects of German society, it's allowed us to really look at some of these larger overarching topics that I think really relate well to audiences in the rest of the world, also in the US, who are also looking at questions of polarization, identity, uh, migration, uh, globalization, what all of these topics do in terms of bringing people together or pulling them apart. And in this case, we've seen that East and West, rather than grow closer and closer together, have seen a lot of friction in recent years. And so the show that we did this year on German reunification, we had such an interesting group of voices that we were able to bring in. And I think that's why that dialogue that we had really stayed with me. We actually have a clip from that show. We will hear from a member of the German Bundestag, Anke Domscheidberg. She is a politician from Die Linke, Germany's left party. Anke, let's start with you. Take us back to around 30 years ago, uh, where you were, how you witnessed uh, German reunification. What do you remember about that? I was uh, still a student at that time. The uh, fall of the wall was in the middle or at the, rather at the end of my art studies where I studied south of Germany. And I was uh, very active in the opposition. So when the wall fell, I was at one side really, really happy. But on the other side, I was sure that that means the end of my dream and the dream of many other oppositional people. Uh, which meant not just adopting the capitalism side from Western Germany, but to to find a better option combining um, democracy and uh, socialist visions. So when nearly a year later the reunification took place, that was ultimately for me fixing the end of this idea of a third possibility of a different option. And Soraya, you were also a founding co-host of Studio Berlin. What's one of the episodes that has stuck out to you? Well, for me, it was definitely the first two episodes that I did. It ended up being a two-parter about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's Afghanistan. At the time, there were Taliban peace talks going on in Doha. And we also had some very interesting young women who climb mountains in Afghanistan. They're part of a program that I'm writing about for a book, and they happen to be traveling through Berlin. So we brought two of them to the studio. And they're just amazing young women. And again, what they had to say really stuck with me and I hope with listeners as well. And I think we're going to hear a clip from one of them now, Maria Mohammadi. Yes, let's listen. When we are in the mountain, there is no person to tell you what you want to do or what you should do. And you are free. And when I climb the mountain, I'm uh, feeling that I'm flying like a bird. That's a great clip. How is she doing now? Well, her circumstances changed dramatically. I mean, she went back to Afghanistan, but then she found out from her father that she was no longer going to be allowed to climb mountains, that she would no longer be allowed to be part of this program, or that she could no longer travel because she was going to be forced to marry a relative. And this is something that faces a lot of young women in Afghanistan. So she happened to come back to Germany on a model United Nations trip and decided not to return to Afghanistan and and sought asylum here in Germany. So initially what Germany did was move her to the eastern state of Thuringia to a refugee center there. And her situation was really, really difficult, as I think we're going to hear in this next clip. Yes, this is from a show on April 15th. Uh, 
In this clip, we're hearing from Mariam talk about this person who came from Sweden to the refugee center. He was another asylum seeker. There was a fear that he had COVID, and so they locked the entire refugee center down. I mean, there was nobody going in or out. I mean, it was hard to get food. It was hard to get sanitation equipment or any kind of uh, hand sanitizer or anything like that. And she really was having a rough time. I mean, she ended up spending many months at that center. Thankfully, the, the COVID scare turned out to be just a scare and not an actual reality. And uh, it just was not a good time for her there. But she has actually since left the center. How is she doing now? Well, now she's doing fabulously. Uh, she ended up being accepted for asylum. Uh, the Germans gave her refugee status. And she ended up moving recently into a small studio apartment. Uh, and she's actually working at a nearby gym. It's more of a volunteer job at this stage, but she's helping teach young Germans how to climb on the rock climbing walls because she has that level of skill. They were that impressed with her at the center that they ended up hiring her in that capacity as a volunteer instructor. That's great to see that trajectory, especially play out on Studio Berlin, too. And now, Eric, um, you did a show last year on the BER airport, uh, this never-ending saga. That was actually 14 months before its opening on October 31st this year. And um, one of your guests, uh, freelance journalist Grace Dobush, brought a game to the studio, uh, Das Verruchte Flughafenspiel, or the crazy airport game. So let's take a listen to that. All of the cards that you pull as you're building this airport with your fellow players, it sounds nuts. You know, you might pick a card and it says, oops, the escalators you ordered are accidentally too short. Pay another 500,000 euros. It's actually very real. Everything on this is real. And then it has little sources so you can check like where they got the information from. I think Martin can't wait to play the game, right, Martin? Yeah, I heard about it uh, uh, before, but I never played it. It's fantastic how much you can do with the information floating around about this project because uh, there was not only the inquiry, but a lot of journalists digged into the, the project and brought uh, interesting facts like the two short escalators. At one time, uh, people speculated that the, the tower of the airport, which actually works since, uh, I think, 2013 or 14 was falling down because the fundament was not uh, really solid. So we just heard Grace Dobush, um, a freelance journalist, and we also heard Martin Delius, who was the head of the Berlin Senate parliamentary inquiry into the airport delays. Eric, do you remember playing that game? Yeah, it was a funny, humorous game, and it took a lighter side of the debacle of the airport, how many things that were going wrong with it. But I think the show that we did for Studio Berlin was really an important show, and it took a sort of a stand-back look at the airport for Berliners. And the airport is a beautiful, fantastic airport, and it's going to have an important economic impact on the whole Berlin-Brandenburg area for decades to come. And I think we touched on a lot of those issues that sometimes in the local German media get lost in the bushes, in the weeds. And so it was really a satisfying show to talk to an expert about the Berlin airport and talk to people who are following the airport saga really closely and see not only the bad, but also the good. It was an important show, and I'm really glad we did it. And the BER airport finally opened in October. We hosted another episode about the saga. Has anyone flown out or into uh, BER? I have. I just flew back from the U.S. where I was um, covering the elections for DW. I just flew back into the airport, and it really was a surreal experience because, as Eric and you just mentioned, you know, this was an airport that was long overdue. And so I left Berlin, having flown out of um, Tegel, the old airport, and flew into this shiny new 
airport that was mostly empty because people are not traveling at the moment. It does look beautiful. It does look like they've done a great job finally getting it open. I wonder what it's going to look like when it is indeed full, when air travel gets back to normal capacity and how they function then. But it is great to see that it finally has made it. Did you see the art installation that was hanging above the magic carpet? Because when we did our show in October about it, we talked to the artist behind that. Did you see that? Unfortunately not. So the area where I was getting out of my plane and going through immigration and the rest, uh, that wasn't near that art installation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that eight years ago when they were going to have the opening and it was all ready to go. That was the opening was canceled just a few weeks before. And it's from Los Angeles, which is really interesting. And then I saw it again recently on a tour there with a group of journalists. So, yeah, it is a beautiful piece of artwork. But it turns out that the supervisory board, which included the former mayor of Berlin, Wolverite, they were more worried about the artwork and the wood paneling than making sure the escalators were long enough and the fire safety was in place. So all those snafus detract from the artwork. And so instead of people focusing on the beautiful artwork hanging from the ceiling from Los Angeles, they're more worried about the airport being functional and the fire safety sprinklers hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, Pei White, the um, artist behind the magic carpet, mentioned to us that she was a little bit frustrated by the management. You know, she felt as an artist, after a while, they had just been forgotten. At the beginning, she was like, we were getting Christmas cards every year. And she was like, maybe that's why the airport's not opening, because their Christmas card department has so much staff. But that was interesting to hear her take on that. Well, I want to also share a moment that stuck with me on a Studio Berlin show back in March. Uh, It was the first ever show we did on the pandemic. That week, we actually had a show ready to go about bicycle safety because there was, unfortunately, some bicycle deaths and there were activists saying something really needs to change in the city. But then as there were more COVID cases confirmed in Germany, it became clear we had to switch gears. And in fact, right before we did the show, the World Health Organization had just announced officially that we were in a pandemic. And so we had spokeswoman Margaret Harris on the show. And previously in 2014, she had been on the front lines of the Ebola epidemic in Sierra Leone. And I asked her about how one can strike a balance between being cautious and and doing what you can to protect yourself and your family and also then not being paranoid. So let's hear the lesson she learned. I think it's experience, frankly. I mean, when I first went to Sierra Leone, I was very nervous. I knew I was facing a, a very dangerous and deadly disease. But after I'd spent some time in the villages and I had been around people who had Ebola, but I took all the precautions, number one being simply hand washing, number two being social distancing. So I remember seeing a little boy, a young 12-year-old boy who had probable Ebola, it hadn't been diagnosed and was very, very ill and was so weak he couldn't get into the ambulance. All I wanted to do was go and help him and pick him up and, and, you know, hold him in my arms and comfort him. But I knew I must not do that because at that time we had no treatment for Ebola. If I got Ebola, my organization would be obliged to evacuate me and waste a lot of time and energy on me instead of spending that time on the the people in the country that needed it. So having had that experience and, and knowing that if I really am utterly rigid and fastidious about personal protection, personal hygiene, I can stay safe. I know that I can offer that advice to others and that it does work. 
And I guess another reason that moment stuck with me is at that time, it was the beginning of March, mid-March. There was so much uncertainty and this seemed very far from anything we would see in a sense. It seemed far away. But then, of course, we have seen how family members haven't been able to see their family members in the hospital and they've had to stay away. So looking back at this was kind of a sobering reminder of where we've come to. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will look ahead to what is in store for 2021. Stay with us. I'm Todd Zwillick. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into 1A weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Hey, you. You've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, The Takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh my God. One thing I really like in a radio story. What's back there? Nothing. It looks empty. Oh, there's someone living back there. Is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's somebody's hair. There's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there. Mysteries explained each week. This American Life. It's Santa Claus. Resident Evil. This American Life. Sundays at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham, and this is our special goodbye show commemorating more than 60 episodes of the program. Here with me in the studio is KCRW Berlin's program director, Soraya Sahardi-Nelson, and Studio Berlin executive producer, Monica Muller-Kroll. Also with us on the phone is Studio Berlin co-host, Sumi Somaskanda, and frequent contributor, Eric Kirschbaum. We talked about some of our favorite moments on Studio Berlin from the past year and the big stories. Now let's look ahead what will be the big news stories of 2021? Who wants to start? Well, if you'd like, I can start. This is Soraya. Uh, So for me, I think the first thing we're going to be looking at is the inauguration on January 20th, even though that's going on in the United States. You know, President-elect Biden will become President Biden. And the big question is, will Donald Trump, the outgoing president, show up? The answer seems to be no. And the latest thing that we're hearing is that he might actually launch his 2024 campaign on that same day of the inauguration, which would be an amazing insult inside America for people who would like to actually see an orderly transition. But I think it's going to also strike fear in the hearts of Germans. So I'm guessing that will be something that's watched very closely here, as well as in the United States. Sumi, what do you think? I definitely agree with Soraya that that's going to be watched closely. I think we're definitely going to also be covering the pandemic, you know, just because the uh, vaccinations are now going to be rolled out in the start of the year, which that entire process will get a lot of coverage. We'll have to keep a close eye on how efficient and how well that is rolled out here in Germany, across Europe and the U.S. and, and elsewhere in the world. We're going to be living with the virus for some time and it'll continue to disrupt our lives. Not to mention, you know, there are many economists expecting a deep recession that could hit us next 
next year to sow all of that within the framework of a German election. So next year, uh, 2021, is Angela Merkel's final year in office and there will be an election in September to see who replaces her. And it will be very interesting to see which direction he or she could take the country in after Chancellor Merkel is no longer at the helm. And this really is the end of an era for Germany. So those are the stories I think we'll be watching next year. Yeah, we recently did a Studio Berlin episode about who will succeed Merkel. And we had a ARD radio reporter on the show and she was saying CDU politics are really usually kind of boring. But I think this race is very exciting. And I'm also curious to see who will become CDU party leader. We'll find that out in the beginning of 2021. Eric, what do you think? What are the big stories of 2021? I think uh, Biden transatlantic relations is going to be an important story, especially Germans are looking forward to a normalization in relations. And they might be a bit disappointed if they think Biden's going to be just like Obama four years ago. Biden has a whole different set of challenges and problems. And I think the tensions in NATO about the defense spending or lack thereof in Germany is going to be an issue. And it's just going to be interesting to see how the Europeans and the Germans embrace Biden and do they want Biden to succeed? Are they going to help him? Or is it going to be more of the same kind of foot dragging that caused the problems that led in part to somebody like Trump being president. So that's going to be a big story. I think Nord Stream 2 is related to that. The United States is strongly opposed to this gas pipeline from Russia. It's not just the Republicans. It's not Trump. It was the whole Senate. So it's going to be interesting to see how Germany reacts. Will Germany drop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline or not? Are they going to keep building it? The other thing that's kind of interesting, I'm going to be very curious to be following next year, is the whole meet and deckle. What's the constitutional court going to do? Berlin has put a cap um, on rents. A lot of people are forced to lower their rents in Berlin. We had a couple of really good discussions about that on the show. And the constitutional court ruling is due in the first part of next year. What's going to happen to that? Will Berlin continue to have these really um, radical approach to sinking, lowering rents? Or are they going to go back to the, the, the system of normal capitalism and allowing property owners to raise their rents as they do in other cities? So those are some of the stories I'm going to be looking forward to seeing what happens in 2021. And if you're like me and got a letter that reduced your rent, we're also told to put aside that money in case that law is overturned. So I will eagerly be personally and professionally awaiting that result. Monica, what do you think? I don't actually have a new story, but I want to take this moment to thank you all for being such great hosts on Studio Berlin. So thank you, Soraya. Thank you, Sumi. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Sylvia. It's been great working with you. Well, Monica, we couldn't have done it without you. You are the glue that holds all of us together. I mean, having to deal with different hosts every single time (laughs) and keeping a smile on your face. I think you are a superwoman. I can only agree with that, Monica. You've been an extremely helpful and thoughtful and creative producer and uh, have held our shows together so well. And we really couldn't have done it without you. I think the way you made a lot of words a lot shorter and made it sound made us all sound better by, by cutting all the all the garbage out. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, Eric. Now Monica will reveal who her favorite host was. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, we'll have to save that for the third episode. That's not <laughs> coming. That's right. <laughs> oh Monica. Okay, and now she's giving me the cut cut. 
signal. Uh, so I, apparently I can't wax poetic about my feelings about Monica. But sadly, we are out of time for our very last episode of Studio Berlin. Thank you to all of the people behind this program. Soraya Sahardi-Nelson, our program director and the host of Common Ground. Sumiso Muskanda and Eric Hirschbaum, co-hosts of Studio Berlin. And of course, our wonderful executive producer, Monica Müller-Kroll. And thank you all for being here for this conversation. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you so much for hosting it, Sylvia. It's been great. And thank you all. It's been a blast. Thank you, Sylvia. You can find both parts of this special wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thank you for being here with us these past 18 months. 